This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 139, and we are re-recording on July 6th. We had some technical difficulties with our previous <laughs> recording, which is why this show is going out a little bit late. Um, I'm Jen, excuse me, I'm Jen Northington, I can talk, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Again. <laughs> again. Again, here we are again. I mean, it's the first time for our listeners, but for us, this is the second round of this uh of this happening. And, yeah. and one of the insight we mentioned that we were having technical difficulties on the insiders forum and they were like, do you try to replicate the banter? And I was like, I literally cannot remember what I said five minutes after I said yeah, no, it. So. I have no idea. There's no, there's no replicating that. Um, it's, you know, our wit is just so fresh. That's right. So fresh <laughs> nice. Um, uh, so apologies for yes. this being a few days late. I, it was somehow my fault, but I'm not quite sure how. Uh, I, I don't can't think it was what I did wrong. Yeah, I was going to um, say, I don't think it was actually your fault. I think it was the gremlins that live in your computer's fault. Yes, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. All right. Well, let's just dive right in. Um, okay. So I'm going to talk about how the show works, and then we will get moving. Um, so if this is a personalized reading recommendation show, as I said, which means that folks send us questions about what they should read next, what their book club should read, what they should get as a gift for a friend or a relative, looking for comps for a particular author or title, and we will do our best to find a book that matches. You can send us your questions either in the form at the bottom of the show notes, uh, which is on the site for every episode, or you can send them to us via email. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. If you have a timeline that you need your request answered by or would like it answered by, please do put that date in the form at the very top or in the subject line of your email. Feel free to use all caps, say time sensitive. We try to get to them in as timely a fashion as possible, but we do have quite a backlog of questions at this point. So it might take a minute. If I don't think we're going to get to your question on air, or if we've answered a very similar question recently, I might send you an email response. So keep an eye out for those. Um, let's see, a little bit of housekeeping. We have another giveaway going on that you should definitely enter. It is a $500 worth of YA books giveaway. We are giving away our favorite YA of the year so far. And that giveaway ends on July 31st. So you can check out the titles and enter at bookriot.com com slash 500 YA giveaway and that's 500 the numbers definitely go and check that out ASAP and a little bit of feedback on pronunciation. Um, we had a mispronunciation of Maori, uh, M-A-O-R-I, and thank you so much for the note. Um, and the last bit of uh, housekeeping is that the next episode, episode 140, will be up on July 19th, assuming, you know, that all of our technology <laughs> is in, you know, in cohesive action and the creek doesn't rise and, you know, the we world doesn't end. summer break. Exactly. So, um, so there will be a little bit of a gap, but it's a little bit wonky because this episode got moved around. So episode 140 on July 19th. In the meantime, 
here we are. Uh, okay, so question one is from Erin, who says, my 14-year-old niece is going to be a senator one day, and this July, her other aunt and I are taking her on a road trip to eight New England universities, including most of the Ivy Leagues. I'm a folklorist, and other aunt is an architectural historian, so together we are definitely into the old, the spooky, the magical, and the historical. We want to show her the coolest, weirdest, most inspired time ever. So far, we have gotten The Wordy Shipmates by Sarah Vowell, and would like to find more books that are in that vein, entertaining and engaging and relevant to what we are road tripping through. Books about or by women and or people of color are a gigantic plus. Some of the cities we'll be visiting include Boston, Salem, Plymouth, Providence, Portland, and Hanover. All right, first, our sponsor from Amanda. That's me. (laughs) Who else would it be? Of course that's me. All right. (laughs) Our first sponsor is Bluestone and Vine by Donna Kaufman. And this is, she is a USA Today bestselling author. And this book is a charming little romance set in a small town nestled in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, The main character's name is Pippa, and she is an Irish folk music, like, superstar. And she has come to the small town in the mountains in order to rest and heal her voice, which has gotten strained. Um, and, you know, kind of recover, get her stuff together. She does not expect to be stirred by how beautiful the landscape is or by the veteran who tends his vineyard and owns the property on which she is renting her little vacation spot. So unexpected romance, both with the mountains and the man. So as her music, again, starts to flow pretty freely, uh, Pippa has to decide whether she's going to follow her head back to Ireland and, like, you know, go on her next musical tour or follow her heart, which will take her back to Blue Hollow Falls. So this is a really witty dialogue, lovable characters, and the main selling point for this novel, this romance novel, is that it's got a really strong sense of place. So if that's a thing that you really like in your romance, then this is definitely the one for you. Um, The first book in the series is called Blue Hollow Falls and was a number one Amazon bestseller in small town romance. Um, So if, uh, as we've said several times before on the show, you don't necessarily need to read these romance series in order. So you can just go up, go out and pick up um, Bluestone and Vine and start there. So Bluestone and Vine by Donna Kaufman. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I, I picked a book that's maybe it's going to sound both a little out of left field and a little on the nose, but I think it's a good one. I picked Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman. Um, I assume that if you're, since you're taking your niece on this trip, I'm assuming you're audiobooking these things, um, because it sounds like a road trip. So I think that this would be a really great audiobook because it is literally about some eccentric and really awesome aunts raising (laughs) their nieces to be independent uh, women. So I'm sure you've seen the movie. This is like so ingrained in pop culture. I don't know how much of the plot I really need to explain to you, but it does of course take place in Massachusetts in New England. And it is about like witchiness and kind of familial history and genealogy a little bit and um, like family curses. So I think it's very like atmospherically relevant to what you're doing. Um, The Owens sisters are uh, two you know, sisters, obviously, who live in this small town, and their family has always had this kind of specter of witchcraft hanging over them uh, because they have a female ancestor who was killed, or person, yeah, she was killed, right? Yeah, for um, for being a witch. And so they have, these, the two aunts have, like, never done anything to stop the rumors. They just sort of kind of, like, lean into it with their, you know, big scary house and their black cats that they keep everywhere. Um, but their nieces, Jillian and Sally, who they have taken in, are like not so much into it. They don't like how they are ostracized by the rest of the town. They just kind of want to have normal lives. And they have both handled this in, in really different ways. Jillian runs off and she's always kind of been like a wild child. And as, as they get older, Sally is like constantly having to bail her out. Um, Sally tries to settle down and have this just kind of normal 
really, really normal life, like get married, have kids, leave this Massachusetts town, go somewhere else where she can like not be the center of attention constantly and have a really like vanilla kind of life. Um, if you've seen the movie or if you are like a reader of literature and know that conflict has to happen to make plots move, then I'm sure you can know that that isn't how things work out. The settling down and being invisible thing does not happen for Sally or for Jillian who gets into trouble with uh, a man that she's seeing and has to involve her her sister and her aunts to to kind of fix it. So um, yeah, lots of like spooky uh, New England uh, hocus pocus, but for grownups, I think uh, kind of a thing. And I think that it's a good pick for young adults and adults. So I think a 14 year old could really get into it. So that's Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman. I definitely went sideways on this question. <laughs> I got sidetracked by this like New England University Ivy Leagues and then mention of politics and looking for books by persons of color. I So I picked The Emperor of Ocean Park by Stephen L. Carter, which is definitely sort of an advanced literary fiction pick. But if she's an advanced reader, you know, you're already going. She's 14 and you're going to go see the Ivy League. So I assume <laughs> that she is. Um, and I think this book would be a really interesting read. I didn't even think about the audiobook, but I just checked and there are actually it looks like two versions of this book on audio. So who knows why? I don't know. Um, but it is on audio. And it is a family drama that is also a bit of a mystery um, about an African-American family who is part of the upper crust. They, you know, summer on Martha's Vineyard and all of the children attend Ivy Leagues and are expected to do really well. Um, and the father was a renowned judge. And he has died. And the son, one of the younger sons who's narrating the book for the most part, is um, going to be reunited with the family for this wake and and the funeral and is not super excited about it. He's very distant from his family for a variety of reasons. So he shows up at the wake and his sister is like, our dad didn't have a heart attack. He was murdered. And I know who murdered him and names a friend of the family who also has been known to have shady dealings with like, like potential crime connections and was an ex CIA operative and all this stuff. And so the narrator is like, um, what? <laughs> and, but then things start to happen that make him think, well, maybe there is something more going on here. And in the meantime, he suspects that his wife is maybe having an affair. Um, and he is trying to figure out what to do about that. He is a bit of a stuffed shirt. I will say like, he's a very, I mean, he's an Ivy league law professor. So like, he's very erudite and a little bit pretentious. Um, but he's also very dryly funny. It's a, it's a wit. I really appreciate appreciate. And the book is a bit of a satire about, you know, the, the, like the, you know, keeping up appearances and then the things we don't want to talk about and all of that stuff. And it has a lot of political machinations in it, which might be interesting for somebody who's, you know, Senate bound, as you say. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I think it would be a really interesting read. It's not like exactly New England spooky magic, but oh, whatever. My, this is what my brain did. So that is again, the emperor of Ocean Park by Stephen L. Carter. All right. Question two is from Merlia, who says, I'm traveling to the U.S. for the first time, Brazilian girl here, and I will be going to Atlanta for a work event. I don't know much about the city and would like some reading recommendations to get to know a little bit about it. If you can recommend contemporary fiction, I love walking through a city and finding places from books. That would be great. Since I have a history degree, I'm totally down for, book for history books as well. I'm not the biggest fan of historical romances, but I'm glad to read them if they can help me understand the place a little bit more. 
Okay, I picked Georgia Peaches and Other Forbidden Fruit by J. Robin Brown, which is a YA contemporary uh, novel that sets that takes place both in Atlanta and in a small town in Georgia called Rome, um, which I think that, like, dual setting, uh, it's more in Rome than in Atlanta, but you do get an, a lot of glimpses of Atlanta, and I think that this gives you a bigger perspective of, like, Georgia as a whole and maybe the South as a whole. Um, so the main character's name is Joanna. Oh, she goes by Joe. Whoops, I just smacked my mic. Sorry about that. Um, Joe ha- is a lesbian and has been out for several years when the book opens, and she's a senior in high school. Um, and her father is a radio evangelical preacher who is, like, cool with her, like, has not given her guff for being a lesbian um, until he remarries his third wife, and they all des- he decides that they're all going to move to Rome, which is a small town in Georgia where his wife is from. And right before the move, he asks Joe to go back in the closet for her senior year before she leaves to go to college. Um, both for her own safety, because this is a small Georgia town and there's no telling how she'll be treated if she's an out lesbian, but also admittedly for his own comfort. Uh, He is new in town. His wife and her family are very established in the like, you know, kind of Southern aristocracy that can happen in little towns in the South. And he honestly like just doesn't want the drama that would come from moving to this small town and having a daughter who was gay. So Joe agrees. She really likes her father, loves her father. They, she ha- they have a really good relationship up to this point. Um, she agrees to do it. It's only a year, whatever. It does not go well. <laughs> I mean, it goes well at first. She tries really hard to fit in as a, as a straight girl in this school. Um, but then she makes a bunch of friends. But then she meets Mary Carlson. And I, if I remember correctly, Mary Carlson is her first name in that way that like a lot of Southern girls have two first names, which I love. I think that's so cute. Um, so she meets this girl named Mary Carlson who like plays golf um, and is very nice to her. And they, they develop this really great friendship, and then she starts to have feelings for her. Um, and Joe doesn't know what to do. Like, she doesn't want to break the promises that she's made to her father um, and her stepmother, even though she doesn't really like her stepmother, mostly her father. Um, but also, she has to be true to herself. She doesn't want to have fallen for a straight girl and then come out in this little town and have have it come to nothing. Like, there's, it's just very complicated. Um, but the reason that I picked it specifically is because she goes back and forth to Atlanta a few times to see her old friends. Um, and I don't know if the places that, that they visit in Atlanta exist. I kind of doubt it. But they're, they sound so cool. They're like punk rock coffee shops and all these restaurants and stuff. Um, but I think that the comparison between her life in Atlanta where she can be out without having to worry about, you know, her friends treating her some kind of way. And she can go to these cool, funky places um, contrasted with the life she has to live in this tiny little town, which she does make work for her, um, but is a completely different experience, is really telling about about Georgia and the South in general. So that's Georgia Peaches and Other Forbidden Fruit by J. Robin Brown. I picked Silver Sparrow by Tayari Jones, who is, as you might know, the author of American Marriage. But this was her first book, and I read it when it first came out. And it has been a minute since this came out in, yes, 2011. Um, And I probably read it in 2010, actually, because galleys. But I... I remember feeling like I had such a vision of where the characters were in Atlanta that this is the first thing I thought of. Um, So it is set in a neighborhood in Atlanta in the 1980s. 
And it is about a man and his two families. So he is sort of this father figure and he has, you know, the family and wife that he's married to and children. And then he also has a secret family. Um, and the daughters, his his like daughters who who shouldn't know about each other, but one of them knows about the the other family and one of them doesn't. They become friends. And there is this whole tension of this family situation. Like if you know that you're related to somebody, but for various reasons, they don't know and it's not public information. What do you do with that? Do you do you tell your mother about this other family? Like, what do you do? Um, how do you deal with this situation? And then there, it's also very much like a, you know, teenagers being in their community novel. So I just have these really clear visions of them, like wandering around and doing things. And, and it felt so present and the setting felt so detailed. Um, and I just, I just have really lovely memories of reading this book. And it's not like a, not a fun, happy plot, right? Like it wouldn't be with that setup, but it's really, it's really thoughtful and it's really interesting and there's a lot of big feelings in it. Um, and I think it's a beautiful book and I think it really does show sort of, you know, you get a peek at her earlier work before she became this like, you know, Oprah sanctioned sensation, which is great. Um, so yes, I, I definitely recommend it. And I do think this might give you an interesting view of Atlanta in a very specific time period. Like, I said it's set in the 80s. So not necessarily current Atlanta, but definitely one that's very recent. Um, so that is Silver Sparrow by Tayari Jones. And our next question is from Lana, who says, uh, my book club reads two books with the same basic premise and compares how each author played with the concept. Past books include We All Looked Up and The Age of Miracles for Coming of Age in the Apocalypse and Annihilation and the Vore for Mysterious Forest that Changes You if You Enter. Uh, we are currently reading a trio of portal fantasy with Every Heart a Doorway, The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland, In a Ship of Her Own Making, and Coraline. We are looking for suggestions for our next pair of books. You can get as creative as you want. Bonus points for books with queer characters and nothing too depressing, please. Um, I love this question so much because I recently read a pair of books that just synced up in my head perfectly, and I'm so excited to recommend them to you in your book club. Um, it is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer and Glass and Gardens, which is edited by Serena Ulibari. And Amanda, as you might know if you're a listener of the show, was the first one to read Braiding Sweetgrass and like sold it so well that I had to go get it and now I'm obsessed with it. Um, it is uh, written by a botanist who is also um, Robin Wall Kimmerer is a member of the Potawatomi Nation um, and she was raised with some knowledge of her heritage but not a ton and she like she loved plants so much in this very sort of like she loved them for their beauty and she wanted to know more about them. And that's why she went into botany. And then as, you know, a person who went through the Western academic system, she kind of had that, like, you know, 
dismissed. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, we're not here to talk about beauty. We're here to talk about science. Like, we're here to talk about molecules. Um, we're here to talk about, you know, xylem and phloem and, like, chlorophyll. And, like, let's not talk about beauty. Um, and so this essay collection slash memoir is kind of about her trying to bring those two things together. Like, she does love plants on a molecular level, but she also loves them as things of beauty, as representations of nature, and as, like, things that you could connect spiritually to, especially as part of the Native American traditions. And so she's attempting to sort of bring these two threads together. And the and the thoughts are really interesting. You know, she's talking about sustainable energy and companion planting and farming and nutrition and her daughters and all of these different things. And then the anthology I mentioned, Glass and Gardens, uh, with sub title is Solar Punk Summers, is a collection of optimistic sci-fi stories that all have to feature renewable energies in some way. Like, that's what Solar Punk is about. And there are a bunch of different really fascinating stories in here that all do different twists on renewable and sustainable energies and technologies. And I was reading it, and I was thinking about it when I was reading Braiding Sweetgrass, and I was like, oh, this is kind of like in that story that I read. Um, so they do, they did sync up in my head in a really interesting way. And I think they're a great compliment. So again, that is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer and Glass and Gardens, uh, edited by Serena Ulabari. I love this idea for a book club, first mm -hmm. of all. <laughs> I think this is so smart. Um, okay, so I picked The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood and An Excess Mail by Maggie Shen King. And I picked these both as a pairing because they're both about reproductive justice and reproductive freedom in dystopian near future worlds. But Handmaid's Tale is from a woman's point of view and an excess male is from a man's point of view. So, um, you know, we, I feel like we all know the plot of The Handmaid's Tale, especially now that it is um, on television. Um, but this is uh, The Handmaid's Tale takes place in the very near future in which a conservative fundamentalist Christian government has taken over a portion of the U.S. And in the, within this government, women have no rights. Um, and there's also a population issue happening uh, where women aren't having children at the rates that they used to because of environmental factors. And so women who are of childbearing years and have been known to produce healthy children are forced into uh, becoming a handmaid, which is like based on whatever. I don't have to get into like the biblical stuff of it. Um, but uh, it is state-sanctioned rape where they are given to a family, to a couple who are high up in the government um, in order to give that couple a child. Um, and so that is what's happening in that book. In An Excess Male, this is like a near future uh, imagining of the Chinese one-child policy um, where Chinese families are only allowed to have one child. And so Maggie Shen King combines that with um, China's cultural preference for sons as opposed to daughters. So in her imagining, this is, you know, the near future where now China is kind of overrun by men um, because because of those two things. And so there are 40 million men who cannot find wives. And this has caused a real um, shift in their in their culture, basically. Now, it's, it's not necessarily a matriarchy by any means, but women do have a lot more power over like the domestic sphere. Women can have more than one husband. Um, men have to take on a lot of the things that women have traditionally had to take on to like, you know, quote unquote, catch a man. Like they have to conform to these very specific beauty standards. Um, most men aren't married until they're, they're older in their 30s or 40s. Um, and they have to uh, 
exhibit very specific mental health qualifications, like men who have any signs of excess aggression or who are on the autism spectrum in any way um, or who show any signs of like depression or anxiety are automatically like called from being allowed to reproduce and have to go through these um, re-education camps. Um, there is oppression of LGBTQ folks in both books, but they play out in different ways because of the patriarchal nature of A Handmaid's Tale um, but and the focus on having daughters, really, in an excess male. So it's like the same concept. And both have roots in the hatred of women, fundamentally. But the way they play out differently, I think, um, we'll just give, we'll, there's just a lot to compare and contrast and consider, and we'll give your book club lots to chew on. Uh, I know you said nothing too depressing, and A Handmaid's Tale is depressing. Um, and An Excess Meal is too, but for like different ways. It's just a lot to talk about. So yeah, so that's The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood and An Excess Meal by Maggie Shen King. Okay, dokie. Question four is from Andrea, um, who says, I have had a hell of a year. My husband was diagnosed with cancer in January and passed away in April. My mother was diagnosed with dementia in February. To say my life has been turned upside down is an understatement. I've always been an avid reader. I can read anything and usually do close to 100 a year. But since all of this has happened, I only seem to be able to read books about death and dementia. I don't care if it's fiction or not. In fact, I would like to bring some fiction into it as I've been leaning into nonfiction so far. But they give me comfort. Since my husband passed, I've started and put down about 30 books. The only three I've been able to read and love were Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, The Best of Us by Joyce Maynard, The 36-Hour Day by Nancy L. Mace. And I want more. Just being able to relate to the story is comforting right now. I love to read and have been so frustrated. Okay, um, Jen, why don't you go ahead? So for this question, uh, also condolences, um, I picked I Married You for Happiness by Lily Tuck. Uh, you said you were interested in some fiction that explores grief. Um, and I thought of this one. It's one that Rebecca read back when we were still recording Book Rageous. And I feel like talked about it just all the time forever. Uh, so th it's definitely one that comes highly recommended. Um, and it is about a woman whose husband has died. Um, Nina, her name is Nina. She, her husband has passed away at home and um, she is basically sitting beside him. He's like on the bed and he's, he is dead. Um, and she's waiting for the ambulance to come, but they're not rushing because, you know, he's already dead and they know that. So it's not like there's nothing they can do. So she's just waiting. Um, and she's thinking back about their marriage. She's thinking about how they met and like, you know, the complications of their relationship. And it's a slim book. It's, it's about, you know, 200 pages and, um, it is, it, it not, nothing happens other than her literally sitting by him thinking about their relationship. But I think it will capture a lot of the feelings and emotions that maybe you're experiencing or that, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, even if it's not the same kind of a relationship, you, it's helpful to see somebody else having those kinds of thoughts. Um, so I feel like this, might be like the kind of thing that you're looking for. So again, that's I Married You for Happiness by Lily Tuck. Okay, so I picked Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved by Kate Bowler. And this is a memoir. Um, Kate is uh, 35, I think, and she's a professor in divinity at the school uh, at Duke. Um, and she has stage four colon cancer. And I'm fairly certain as of this recording that she's still alive. She's dealing with that illness still. Uh, when she gets diagnosed, she has 
gotten married, and after several years of fertility issues, she's finally had a child. Um, her baby is, I think he's still like one or two, when she starts really quickly losing weight and experiencing a lot of stomach pain, she goes to the doctor and she's diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And so she's navigating that diagnosis in this book. Um, But the interesting thing about this memoir is that she is, as I said, a professor in the history of Christianity at Duke uh, Divinity School. Um, And she literally wrote the book on the prosperity gospel. Uh, Her first book is called Blessed. It's a history of the American prosperity gospel. If you're unfamiliar with it, it's like a branch of evangelical Christianity that says, like, they have a lot of mega churches. And the basic tenet here is that God wants you to be healthy physically and wealthy financially. And the ways to get that into those states are to behave correctly and to give money to pastors. And if you do those things, you will have personal financial wealth and you will never get sick. Um, Or if you do get sick, you will be instantly healed. And so she has spent several years of her professional life studying this thing and going to these churches. Um, And so it's kind of, she finds that once she gets diagnosed, a lot of those really insidious and dangerous and harmful thought processes and really bad theological narratives start kind of invading her thoughts. And so she's really wrestling with like, did I do something to deserve this? Uh, Is there something I could be doing differently to get rid of it? Uh, And while she's dealing with that, she's also thinking about you know, trying to spend as much time as she can with her child and her husband, considering what their lives will be like when she's gone and and, and all of those sorts of things. But I think, but it's the um, the prosperity gospel thing, which isn't even necessarily a religious thing as, mu- as much as it is also like a, an American cultural phenomenon where like, if you just try hard enough, everything will be fine. If you just work hard enough, everything will be fine. And like, what do you do with that when you're facing your mortality and you know that that is factually garbage, uh, and there's there there is nothing you can do. There is no work you can do to to make this go away. Um, and I, you know, I've never obviously never been in that position, and so I, I don't know what that's like. But reading about it was so heartbreaking, but also I, I, relatable. And she's also very funny. Like she has such a great sense of humor about what's happening. Um, and she's she's just a ruthless, ruthless writer when it comes to the things that the people in these churches that she's studying and been attending for so long say to her when she's diagnosed. You know, and these are people who ostensibly love her and have known her for years. Um, but the way that they present and imply that this is somehow her own doing is just it's just really shocking. So that's everything happens for a reason. And other lies I've loved by Kate Bowler. All right, now it's my turn. (laughs) It is time to do the second sponsor, which is a really interesting one. It's The Beginning of Everything by Andrea J. Buchanan. And this is nonfiction. Um, It is a memoir. And the writer one day was crossing the street and had a sudden coughing fit as like a wintry, very dry day. And apparently the course of this coughing fit it it ripped a small tear in the membrane covering the brain and spinal cord, which meant that her cerebrospinal fluid was very slowly leaking out. Um, And of course, she didn't know this. Uh, What she did know was that she started to have headaches and some pain and confusion. And there were doctor visits and, you know, they couldn't tell her anything. Nobody knew. Um, And it took for like nine months to get 
a diagnosis. In the meantime, you know, her brain was sinking in her skull. Um, and at the same time, she was, you know, uh, in the middle of a divorce, she's working as a writer, she has two children. And so she's trying to handle all of these life things while she's having cognitive impairment and constant pain. Um, so this is one of those narratives where you're like, oh my gosh, like now I'm afraid to cross the street and cough ever. Um, but really fascinating <laughs> to look at both what it's like to live through something that is so sort of medically out there and try to get a diagnosis, especially as a woman, and to see how it affects your life um, and how do you come back from that. And, you know, this is about Andrea's fight to be seen as a reliable narrator of her own experiences and her own and to take control of her health care um, and to get a diagnosis and treatment. And also the mind-brain connection is a really interesting one. And it's one that she explores in the context of this experience that she had, you know, because apparently in some folklore, um, the fluid around your brain is actually thought to be a place where consciousness begins, which is not a thing that I knew. Um, so reading this over as we prepped for the show, I was like, oh, it's like that book Brain on Fire by Susanna Cahalan, which I also loved. Really fascinating, really kind of rough reading, but very good. And that's now on Netflix, if I recall correctly. There's a movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, so super interesting. So if you are a fan of nonfiction, if you are inter- interested by medical mysteries and you are a memoir fan, um, all of these things, check this out. It's the the beginning of everything by Andrea J. Buchanan. Okay. Our next question is from Katie, who says, I wrote once before, but it was roughly 120 podcasts ago, so I think I might be clear to ask again. Correct. You can feel free to submit your questions again after, you know, if it's been 100 podcasts and we haven't gotten to it yet. Um, The question is, our immigration policy is clearly a longstanding human rights violation, and I hate it, but I also feel really uninformed on what might be better, so I'm looking for books. There are countries many of these asylum seekers are from, Honduras and El Salvador are referenced a lot. And I vaguely know the U.S. has interfered in Central slash Latin American countries over the years. My working assumption is we have contributed to the socioeconomic issues, but I'd like to be more informed on the history and what might be done to better stabilize the region. Additionally, I'd like to read about how we as a country could have a more open and humane immigration system that didn't cage families and aid to their trauma. Uh, Amanda, what do you got for this one? Um, Okay, I picked Tell Me How It Ends, an essay in 40 questions by Valeria Luiselli. Now, Valeria Luiselli is a Mexican writer who's living in the U.S. and has had her own issues with immigration and getting her, her green card. And when she was in, in the middle of that process of trying to work out getting her green card, um, she came in contact with several immigration lawyers and through that became a volunteer translator at the immigration court in New York City for children. And she specifically works with kids who have come to the border um, un. not unassisted, unaccompanied, unaccompanied minors. Um, And so the book is about that process, what that process is like for her and that experience of translating for those kids. But there's an intake form that she, and this is what most of her work is, is asking the kids the question, 40 questions that are on this intake form that every unaccompanied minor child has to answer. Um, And based on their answers, they can either be immediately deported or they can build up a case that a lawyer will take on pro bono or for very uh, a very reduced fee to try to get them uh, permission to stay in the country with their family. And since these kids aren't citizens, they aren't um, given an attorney. They don't have the right to an attorney. Um, and so they have to have this, they have to have a case essentially that a lawyer thinks is, is worth taking on for no money. Um, and the questions that she asks, she weaves 
that experience into a really uh, like 101 overview of what's happening in this immigration crisis right now. And I had absolutely no background or background knowledge of this at all. I mean, I knew that a lot of children were coming to the border unaccompanied. I didn't know why. I didn't know what countries they were coming from um, or any of that. So most of these kids are coming from Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. And she doesn't get like super deep into the history of like American interference in those countries militarily and economically and how that has kind of led to this crisis. But she does talk very directly about how American drug use is almost entirely responsible for what's happening in those countries now, specifically with the rise of extreme gang violence. And so most of these children, all of these children are refugees who are fleeing um, gang violence where their lives have been threatened or they've been bodily harmed. Their families are have been murdered. And so they they have gone off by themselves um, to try to escape that. Most of them are coming to the U.S. because they have family here already, and so they are uh, coming by themselves to to like, get to those family members um, in order to you know save their lives, save their own lives. Uh, and the questions that she has to ask them on the form seem very simple: Why are you coming to the United States? When is the last time you talked to your parents? Were you harmed in the process of getting here? Those sorts of things seem very like yes or no, but they're not. They're super complicated, and the way that the kids answer these questions really reveals a lot about the situation uh, at the border. And she also talks a lot, interestingly, about Mexico, because obviously kids coming up from those three countries have to travel through Mexico to get here. And the Mexican government also is doing this really like horrendous, inhumane crackdown on refugees fleeing that kind of violence. So it's just a, a train wreck, basically, um, that I didn't know. I, I knew none of this. And I think if you're coming to the immigration crisis with really no background knowledge at all. This is a great place to start. So that's Tell Me How It Ends, an essay in 40 questions by Valeria lewis I need to read that book. Mm. And it's super short. It's like 120 pages. You can mm-hmm. read it in, you know, an hour. Let's see. Mine is from my TBR. Um, and it was something that I've been meaning to read for a while, sort of related to this question in a sideways way. It's The Empire's Old Clothes, What the Lone Ranger, Babar, and Other Innocent Heroes Do to Our Minds by Ariel Dorfman. And this is about the political and social implications of pop culture and how we export that pop culture. Um, Dorfman is a, an Argentine Chilean writer. He's also um, he's he's a citizen of the U.S. and has been a professor and a human rights activist. So he's coming from the sort of activist slash academic side of things. And what this book does is look at, you know, how things like Donald Duck comics and, you know, children's books and Reader's Digest export this potentially very harmful and invasive sort of set of values or politics that we may not even be aware of as consumers of popular culture and certainly not aware of as how the impact that those things can have on other countries and other societies. Um, And I think this is really interesting because, you know, there are a lot of concrete things that the government, that our government has done to destabilize that region. And um, there are good books about that, but it's it's sort of easy to look at those things and be like, aha, this, but there's, there's so much more that we do that we don't think about. And I think it's important to think about those things. Um, 
just because we do consume so much popular culture and there are a lot of great conversations happening right now about, you know, what kinds of people are represented and how are they represented and and but it's a very sort of it feels to me like a very internal conversation and I think it's important to think outside of that as well. So again, that's the Empire's Old Clothes, What the Lone Ranger, Babar, and Other Innocent Heroes Do to Our Minds by Ariel Dorfman. All right. Our next question is from C who says, I'm looking for a book club pick to start book club rules say that it should be by a woman with a female POV. I recently turned 25 and I'm having a traditional millennial mid twenties crisis. I would love to read and I would love to read and discuss a book that talks about that kind of moment in a way that touches on my current struggles. Recently quit a job, confused about my life direction, romance on the back burner, but is that where I want it? Am I a real adult? Um, But that can also be enjoyed by the women in my book club who are past that moment, think age 30 and married with children. Please nothing that is overly goofy or dismissive or disingenuous or preachy. I would prefer something that's not based around only romantic relationships, but also isn't just about a single girl making it in the big city. I'd like something that might end optimistically, but doesn't tie everything up in a perfect neat bow. I'm thinking of something kind of in the vein of the bell jar, but without the complete mental breakdown. Okay, um, I picked The Lost for Words Bookshop by Stephanie Butland, um, which I have been pitching as the storied life of A.J. Fickery meets Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Um, So it's about a woman in her mid-20s whose name is Love Day, and she lives in the U.K., and she works in a used bookstore um, where she has worked since she was 15, and she's now you know, older than that. She's now an adult, a young adult. Um, And she has a very traumatic past as she doesn't, you, a lot of the book is um, the unfolding of that story. So you don't dive in knowing exactly what happened to her when she was younger, but you learn it as you go. Um, So it's not um, flippant or anything. It treats her life very seriously. And now at this point, she is in her twenties and she's been working at this bookstore forever. She doesn't have career question marks, like, um, you know, like you were talking about, she wants to stay at the bookstore and she's perfectly happy working at the bookstore forever and living in her small apartment forever. But she does have personal relationship question marks, um, where she meets a poet in the book who is obviously interested in her. And she's just kind of like, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I'm ready for a relationship, if that's even what I want right now in my life. Um, and at the same time that that's happening, this like question mark of a romance, three mysterious packages show up at her used bookstore that turn out to be, she's totally convinced, books from her childhood. So she thinks either um, an ex-boyfriend who was very abusive towards her is is trying to like get in her brain or perhaps her someone from her biological family has found her and is trying to like send her messages so there's the book is mostly about that mystery about her trying to figure out where these packages are coming from and why and through that you kind of get backwards flashback flashback looks at what happened to her when she was a kid how she ended up in foster care and then how she ended up working at this bookstore um and the side characters are all really great the owner of the bookstore is this like jolly Santa Claus figure mm-hmm. who was also maybe a spy. And so like all of his friends who come to the bookstore are like, why, yes, I know him from, you know, back when we were stationed in India. And you're like, what is this, Victorian England? This is like 19, this book takes place in 2018. Like, how did you know? Whatever. Um, but it's it's like charming and funny. Um, and Love Day herself is a very um, bristly character, but she's not mean like that and that's the difference I think between this and Eleanor Oliphant is that Eleanor Oliphant Eleanor is, is a mean person like she's she's not a nice person um Love Day has similar trauma not the same trauma I'm not spoiling she has childhood trauma um but she is not terrible to other people um so there is the difference she's it's a first person novel and it's, it's being in her head is 
Um, it's not a terrible experience. It's, it's lovely and funny. Um, I think this will appeal because she's a character who's having kind of a, a mid-20s quarter-life crisis. Um, it answers the questions that you asked, but I am in my 30s and I have children. I've been married and divorced and I still loved it. So I think that everyone in your book club will find something here to enjoy. So that's The Lost for Words Bookshop by Stephanie Butland. I picked a memoir for you. I picked Hammerhead by Nina McLaughlin, which you may have heard us recommend on the show before, but it's been a minute, so I felt fine bringing it back up. (laughs) Um, And this is definitely exactly what you're talking about. Nina was in her 20s um, working for a Boston newspaper, you know, doing writing, which is what she thought, you know, she's a classics major, so this is what she thought she was supposed to be doing, and just found herself really disconnected. Um, And one day, sort of on like half of a whim, she applied for a job she saw on Craigslist as a carpenter's assistant, um, specifically asking for women to apply, and ends up getting the job despite having zero relevant experience. Um, The woman, the carpenter, Mary, I believe her name is, is really just looking to sort of bring somebody in to carpentry the same way that, you know, to continue this tradition of mentorship and and to give a woman a a shot in this very traditionally male industry. And I guess Nina shows up with enough moxie that she gets the gig. Um, And so the book is about her learning how to like tile a floor and like build a countertop or a deck and like what to do with lumber. (laughs) Um, But it's also about her thinking really hard about like, what is it about this kind of work that appeals to her? Why did she even answer this ad in the first place? Um, And how is it different? And how is it similar to the work she was doing or the work that she wants to be doing? So it's definitely sort of a process of self-discovery. It's about, you know, working with your brain versus working with your hands and your body. Um, It's about dealing with, you know, just the confusion of trying to figure out who you are when you thought you were doing one thing and now you're doing something completely different. So it's very relatable. It's really well written. She's a great writer. Um, And it's very entertaining, even though like, you know, literally (laughs) there's a chapter about tiling a floor. But like, I totally, I read this so (laughs) fast. I loved it so much. Um, And it is, it's on the shorter side. It's 240 pages. So not, not a long haul for your book club. And I think everybody will find something interesting in it. Um, So that again is Hammerhead, The Making of a Carpenter by Nina McLaughlin. All right. Our last question is from Layla, who says, I'm a big mood reader. And now that summer's here, all I want to read is YA contemporary romance set during the season. I recently read Stay Sweet by Siobhan Vivian and loved it, especially due to the feminist themes in the book. Casey West, Morgan Matson, Jennifer E. Smith, and Maureen Goo are all hit or miss with me. And the only contemporary author I've consistently enjoyed is Sarah Dessen. Do you have any recommendations for YA contemporary romances with feminist themes? Um, Amanda, what do you have? I do. I do have recommendations for that. Um, I picked Nothing Happened by Molly Booth, which is a new book. It just came out in May. And this is a YA queer retelling of Much Ado About Nothing in summer camp. <laughs> um, so the the main perspectives that we're following are Bee and Hannah. And they are sisters who have grown up at this camp. It's called Camp Dogberry. Their parents are the owners. So they're, you know, their whole lives have been summer camp. And every summer they work as counselors, um, you know, swimming in the lake and playing capture the flag and all of that and going to camp counselor parties. Um, and they're, they're very close as sisters. Uh, when the book opens, the two of them and their parents are going through counselor applications, trying to get ready for the summer. And through that, they realize that a boy named Ben is coming back. He's a longtime camp counselor who B has a... Um, 
fraught <laughs> relationship with. They had a will they, won't they kind of romance moment that happened in the last summer. Ben said he was never coming back. So B had kind of moved on, but seeing his application, now she's just pissed. Like he's coming back and now I have to relive all of these things and I have all these feelings and I love him, but I hate him, but I love him, but I hate him. If you've seen much of do about nothing, you understand what's happening here. Um, and then her sister, Hannah, has spent the summer texting with a girl named Claudia and has really fallen hard for her. Claudia is also coming to camp. And so uh, they all meet. They go about their summer doing this, like, witty banter, hating each other, loving each other, flirting kind of thing, you know, that you do. And then um, another counselor named John, who is a just word I can't say on this show, but it starts with a D and ends with a D. Like, it's a terrible dude, um, troublemaker, bad person. He starts spreading a rumor about Hannah and Claudia that is going to, that has the potential to really destroy everybody's relationships. And so the counselors have to, you know, counsel. They are at camp and they do have a job. So they're dealing with all the kids and all of that stuff. And then all of this drama kind of comes to fruition at their 4th of July sparkler party where they have to finally have these conversations of like, do you actually hate me or is that your way of flirting? <laughs> and again, I feel like, you know, if you've seen much to do about nothing, you kind of know what's happening here. But this is a really diverse cast of characters. And of course, there's the queer storyline. Um, B is Ethiopian and is adopted by her parents. And so, um, yeah, I just really liked it. Like, it's very Sarah Destiny and like summer and love and wit and, and snarkiness. I, it was just a really enjoyable reading experience. Very like get a whiskey lemonade, sit on the front porch. This is the thing you're going to want to read. So yeah, nothing happened by Molly Booth. I have to confess that I've never read Sarah Dessen. Um, Not for any particular <laughs> reason. I just haven't. Um, but I do have a YA contemporary romance with feminist themes that I love. So that is what I'm recommending to you. It is Ramona Blue by Julie Murphy. And it is about Ramona who lives in this sort of small town called Eulogy, Mississippi. That's sort of a vacation spot for visiting people. But she lives there all the time. Um, her family lost everything that they had in Hurricane Katrina. And so now they're kind of struggling to get back on their feet. Um, they live in a trailer that's not big enough for everybody. Um, it's her and her dad and her sister. And then her sister's boyfriend is crashing very regularly. Um, and, you know, Ramona, like, is going to have to get a job and multiple jobs, you know, to help out with the family um, and try to sort of, you know, she's not just going to have a fun summer on the beach. Like, she's got a working summer and she is really just focused focused on that. Um, she also, the romance is kind of an interesting one. She has previously only been attracted to girls and is out as a lesbian. But a childhood friend, Freddie, has come back to town for the summer, and she is finds herself attracted to him. And this is not, let me just say, this is not like a, oh, you just need to find the right boy and suddenly you'll be straight again. Like, this is about a character discovering that her sexuality is more fluid than she had imagined. Um, and I really appreciated that personally. And so, and so she's kind of dealing with like, oh, I'm attracted to him, and that's a surprise, and we haven't seen each other for a long time, and how do we reconnect? Um, she's also juggling all of these jobs and this family drama and trying to figure out, you know, she's going to go back to high school and finish her senior year, but she doesn't really know what's going to happen next.
next to her. She doesn't have, she doesn't plan to go away to college. Like she kind of feels like she has to stay put and help her family. And this is going to be her life. Um, and it's about like finding, you know, things about yourself that you didn't know in all kinds of different ways. And I just, there's so many great feelings in here. It is very atmospheric. Like you definitely, she starts to become a swimmer and you get a lot of like pool time and, you know, teenagers running around doing stupid things in the summertime in her off hours. Um, but it just is so thoughtful and so interesting and sort of a view of a teenager summer that you don't always get. And I think you might really enjoy it. So that is Ramona Blue by Julie Murphy. And that's our show. Wahoo! <laughs> oh gosh, it's the most technologically ridden show we've had in a while, but we did it. All of my crossables are crossed. That's right. This, this sounds okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you all so much for listening through our technical difficulties. Um, if you have a chance to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, we certainly hope you will. Not only do we like to see the feedback, but it helps other people to find this show. Thank you today's sponsors uh, for helping make the show possible. You can find me on social media on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. And I'm, uh, where am I? Lordy, Instagram. <laughs> I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>